Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. I'm Jennifer Shutt, budget and appropriations reporter, and Paul Krawczak, our senior staff writer on all budget and appropriations issues, is joining us this week since David is out. Paul, thanks for being with us. Jennifer, thank you for inviting me. Uh, And so the Senate this week passed its fiscal 22 budget resolution, which sets up reconciliation instructions for that multi-trillion dollar tax and spending plan that Democrats have been looking for. Paul, this was another example of sort of Senate Democrats, uh, you know, beating back for most parts Republican proposals uh, during that all night Voterama session. So can you talk to us a little bit about how Voteramas have become kind of standard in the Senate this year um, and, you know, what aspects of this one stood out to you? Well, this one, I think it included maybe like 47 different um, amendments uh, during Voterama, and most of them were introduced by Republicans, but some were introduced by Democrats, and um, a good number of them actually passed. Uh, Most Voterama amendments um, are fairly meaningless. Uh, Most of them establish what are called deficit neutral reserve funds, uh, which uh, are more symbolic than anything else. But this Voterama did expose uh, some fault lines um, among Democrats. For example, there was was an amendment uh, which uh, was basically in support of the Hyde rule. Um, It was... um, it was in support of keeping this rule that, that prohibits, or this law that prohibits federal funding um, of abortion. Um, and there were some other amendments related to taxes, which, uh, which could potentially constrain uh, Democrats to some extent in how they write the tax elements of this bill. So, so, so some of these amendments uh, could could constrain Democrats a little bit as they write this reconciliation bill in the months ahead. And now, of course, that budget resolution is over in the House. Uh, we have heard from House Democratic leaders that they expect uh, to bring this up the week of August 23rd, sort of interrupting the House's August recess a little bit, um, but is not anything I don't think most of us expected once the Senate approved that budget resolution. Uh, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, she seems pretty confident that this budget resolution, that the House is going to be able to adopt this, sort of formally unlocking that reconciliation process. But we've been hearing all week from moderate House Democrats who want her to hold a vote on that separate $550 billion bipartisan infrastructure plan. 
before the House turns to the budget resolution. And of course, with such a slim Democratic majority over there on the budget resolution, Democratic leaders can only afford to lose three of their members uh, and still adopt that budget resolution. And so it seems like there's going to be a lot of negotiating in the coming days to try to make sure that moderate Democrats, including this group of nine who have said they will not consider voting for the budget resolution until there's a vote on the infrastructure bill, uh, and progressive Democrats who have said they absolutely will not vote on the bipartisan infrastructure bill until that reconciliation package is approved by Congress. And so all of these various elements, the budget resolution, the bipartisan infrastructure bill, and that eventual multi-trillion dollar reconciliation package seem to be all sort of interwoven at this point. Um, and getting votes for any of them seems like it's sort of a Rubik's cube at this point in time. Paul, how do they figure this out? It, it's it's a big question. It's uh, it's hard to understand why you know why Speaker Pelosi is confident about this. Um, I think one of the fundamental challenges here is that Democrats have a very narrow majority. They have fifty fifty in the Senate, and as you said, they can only lose three votes in the in the uh, House, and yet they are trying to push through legislation, which, which is, I mean, I think it was Senate Budget Chairman Bernie Sanders who said uh, this reconciliation bill is, is the most uh, revolutionary, uh, you know, domestic uh, social legislation that we've had since the New Deal. So uh, typically when a party pushes through, um, you know, legislation, which is a big change, they have a bigger majority. So, uh, yeah, so as you said, um, you know, uh, Speaker Pelosi, um, you know, wants to not take up this bipartisan infrastructure bill until this three and a half trillion dollar reconciliation bill is passed by the Senate uh, sometime in the fall. Um, but you have these moderate Democrats in the House who are saying, we will not vote for the budget resolution until the uh, infrastructure, until we pass the infrastructure bill. So um, I think, you know, you said negotiation. I think that that's the key thing here. And, and the speaker, you know, negotiate some kind of compromise with, with moderates um, in terms of what the, what the shape of this reconciliation bill will be and maybe, maybe meet some of their you know, demands in terms of what they do not want in the reconciliation bill and get their votes for the budget resolution and will the progressives in the House go along with it. Um, it's a big question, but, but it, as you said, it comes down to negotiation. And if the House does adopt this budget resolution, that really unlocks the reconciliation process for committees in the House and Senate to begin advancing that multi-trillion dollar package. But one of the things that is not going to be in that reconciliation package is legislation addressing the debt limit. And this is really shaping up to be one of the sort of paramount legislative battles of the year um, with sort of a lot of problems hanging in the balance here because the previous debt limit suspension expired at the end of July. And so the Treasury Department is using 
those accounting maneuvers that a lot of people refer to as extraordinary measures to continue paying the country's bills, uh, you know, making sure that Social Security checks go on time, making sure that troops get paid, um, you know, all of those national parks remaining open, you know, all of those things that make up the federal budget. Uh, but how long these extraordinary measures can last for is really uncertain right now. And Republicans are remaining kind of really dug in on this, that they're not going to help Democrats pass a de another debt limit bill this year. And so this is kind of shaping up to be some sort of uh, fiscal cliff or fiscal train wreck in the next couple of months. And so, you know, Paul, I just really want to get your take on how this sorts itself out and how the U.S. avoids a situation like 2011, where there was a credit downgrade or something even more problematic, like an actual default on the debt for the first time in the country's history. Well, this, yes, this is another uh, major question. Uh, back, back in 2011, you had Democratic president, Democratic-controlled Senate, Republican-controlled House. John Boehner was the House Speaker and the uh, the the Budget Control Act, the the discretionary spending caps, which have been in effect for ten years and uh, ended and will end in fiscal twenty twenty one. I mean that you know those curbs on spending those were negotiated as a condition for raising the debt limit at the time. And so what we are looking at now is the um, yes, I mean Senate. Uh, Minority Leader Mitch McConnell has said, we will not support, we will not vote for a debt limit increase. And his reasoning is, uh, you Democrats um, are passing our, you know, uh, advancing this three and a half trillion dollar reconciliation bill without our input. Um, and that, that spending is unneeded. And if you're going to go it alone on that spending, uh, you can go it alone on the debt limit as well. There are two ways to address the debt limit. The, the way that's most normally used is uh, through regular order, which requires 60 votes in the Senate. Uh, the other way is through budget reconciliation, uh, which allows the Senate to uh, increase the debt limit um, with a simple majority. And there was a lot of discussion among Democrats about uh, which way they would go, and they decided against the budget reconciliation route. And the reasoning they gave is it's Republicans' responsibility also to raise the debt limit. Um, but an underlying political reason is if they would put a big uh, debt limit increase number in the budget resolution, that would make it even harder passed the budget resolution um, in, a, in a Senate where there's only 50 Democratic votes and then the vice president uh, can break ties. So this is going to be something that we are reporting on and hearing about a lot during the next few weeks. And so I'm curious if there's a situation where you think that you know, Democrats, either before voting on the budget resolution in the House or later down the line, uh, sort of reopen that budget resolution and add instructions to uh, address the debt limit through the reconciliation process? Or if you think Democrats are going to, uh, you know, continue holding the line on this and maybe put 
another suspension of the debt limit in that government funding bill that we expect to see at the end of September? Well, their plan right now um, is to uh, suspend the debt limit through regular order. Um, and I mean, that suspension would most likely uh, go on a, um, a continuing resolution, a stopgap uh, spending measure. It's, it's quite clear that they're not going to, the Senate and House are not going to agree on appropriations bills before the fiscal year ends, September 30. Um, and I, so, and that's going to be another big fight as well, because the, uh, the, the very small defense increase and the big non-defense increase uh, that House and Senate Democrats want um, is not, is opposed by Republicans. They want a higher defense increase and a smaller non-defense increase. So yes, as you said, it's possible that when the uh, budget resolution goes to the House in August, it's possible that the House could add, uh, could change it and add debt limit reconciliation instructions. Um, it's even possible that um, the Demo that, that the House and Senate could do a follow-on budget resolution. But, um, but that's a big question, whether they would be able to do that, whether they could get that past the Senate parliamentarian. It might, um, the Senate parliamentarian might say that it, um, that it doesn't comply with strict uh, budget rules. Um, but, and the thing about uh, suspending the debt limit through regular order, the reason that's easier is because you are not saying, you are not raising the debt limit to a certain number, which is, could be, you know, it could be 30 trillion or something like that. Uh, that's a hard number to vote for. When you suspend the debt limit, you're saying the debt, the debt limit is inoperative until, you know, a certain date. And then when we get to that date, then whatever the total debt is, that is the new debt limit. So just one final point here. Uh, when, the, when the House adopts a budget resolution, that will spin off a, uh, a measure to the Senate, which suspends the debt limit basically until the end of next year uh, without a separate vote in the House. So the, the plan now appears to be when the House adopts the budget resolution, this debt limit suspension goes over to the Senate, but then the Senate would have to vote on it and would need 60 votes to approve that suspension. And so if that is Democrats' plan, right, is that if that is the final sort of track forward for debt limit legislation that they decide to pursue that that sort of spin-off process would still require at least 10 Senate Republicans to vote on that procedural cloture motion to get onto the bill in order for Democrats to be able to move towards final passage of any debt limit legislation. Uh, and that's assuming that all 50 Senate Democrats remain united in voting for another debt limit suspension. And so do you see 10 Senate Republicans right now joining with Democrats. I know it's a, technically would be a procedural vote, but you know, it's still addressing the debt limit. And we did get a letter from, uh, I believe it was 46 Senate Republicans this week saying they don't support joining Democrats in advancing debt limit legislation. And so 
you know, it doesn't really seem like the numbers are there in the Senate for addressing debt limit through regular order right now. Uh, exactly. And the, I mean, what we are hearing is that uh, Republicans really mean this, that they really mean it, that they are not going to support a debt limit increase um, under the uh, under the circumstances with this uh, reconciliation bill. So, so it's, uh, I mean, it's very hard to believe that we would actually have a default where the government would not be able to make bond payments. Um, it's never happened before. Um, uh, it, it seems unlikely, um, but it's not impossible. And it's, it's really hard to predict at this point. Um, there is an opening for Democrats, though. I mean, you know, you know, if Democrats were willing to negotiate with Republicans, um, and you know, add some conditions to the debt limit uh, suspension, and you know, who knows what they might be. In the past, Republicans have uh, pressed for budget reforms, uh, spending curbs, etc. If Democrats were willing to negotiate with Republicans, um, there could be a way forward. Um, and if Democrats were willing to scale back this reconciliation bill that that might provide an opening or it might at least provide a partial opening. Those are some of the issues that we have been tracking and will continue to be reporting on in the coming weeks and months. Paul, thank you so much for joining me this week. Thank you. The CQ Budget Podcast is going to be taking a bit of a break during the next few weeks while Congress is mostly in recess, uh, and we will be back mid-September. That does it for us today. If you have any questions or comments about our podcast, we'd love to hear from you. You can always drop us an email. The address is cqpodcast, one word, at cqrollcall.com. The CQ Budget Podcast is produced by CQ Roll Call a leader in nonpartisan political and policy news and analysis for more than 70 years. CQ Roll Call is part of Fiscal Note, a global technology and media company. Thank you all for listening. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. And I'm Jennifer Shutt, budget and appropriations reporter. You can always stay up to date by subscribing to the CQ Budget Newsletter. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, NPR One, or just Google the phrase CQ Budget Podcast. And we'll be back next week.